Thank you. You may be seated. I invite you to take your Bible and turn to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4, we are continuing our emphasis through the year of 2023 on prayer. And the last Sunday of each month, we spend some time, uh, I preach on prayer. We meet at night to pray together as a church. So we're continuing that emphasis. And as you make your way to Galatians chapter 4, I'm sorry, Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. Uh, I want to say that I admire those who have devoted themselves to a craft. There's something about craftsmanship that we instantly recognize as being worthy of respect and admired. I think about those who are woodworkers, painters, uh, sculptors, musicians. I I think one of the things that I'm most impressed uh, when I look at a book or I listen to a piece of music is that somebody actually finished it. Uh, I think about how perfectionist I am and and how I I don't know that I could ever be happy with a song or a book or, uh, I can't sculpt, but a sculpture. And and the fact that somebody did something and, and put something out into the world is remarkable. But it's not just the product when you look at something that has craftsmanship. It's, it's all the things that are, go behind it. When you see something that is so well made, you're seeing a devotion that spans years. You see many hours behind that. And so I love the things that come out of a long devotion. And we all do this, right? I mean, we recognize the difference between something that's produced on the assembly line and something that's handcrafted, Right? We recognize the difference between a plastic chair and a hand-carved rocking chair, right? We all recognize this instinctive value to this devotion. We take pleasure in it. And what's so admirable is the time, the energy. But there's also the failures. Uh, How many of you have ever tried to build something and, and you either just had to scrap it or you had to modify it? There's there's a devotion that, that persists. When you see that craftsmanship, you also need to understand that there was a lot of failures, a lot of frustrations, a lot of quitting and restarting. Devotion is a, a stubbornness to give up. It's a refusal to give up and set it aside. That's what devotion is, is despite hardships, you're willing to continue So let me ask you, does that describe your prayer life? Does the word devotion describe your prayer life? If not, why not? This morning, we want to look at what it means to have a devoted prayer life. That is a devoted, a persisted, persevering prayer life. When we look at Colossians chapter 4... At what Paul says, I hope you'll leave here this morning with a renewed stubbornness in prayer. A holy stubbornness, a spirit-given resolve to persist and persevere, to devote yourself in prayer. So if you leave here, remember nothing else. I hope you remember this. I hope it's this. Believers should devote themselves to prayer with alertness and thanksgiving. Let me say that again. Believers should devote themselves to prayer with alertness 
and thanksgiving. We want to dive into this main idea, and the way we're going to do that is I want to give you one reminder and three responses. One reminder and three responses coming out of Colossians chapter 4 on how we are to devote ourselves to prayer with alertness and thanksgiving. The first part of our main idea is that we're talking about believers, which means we're talking about a gospel people. And so the first reminder I want to give you this morning is that, remember, true prayer is a gospel fruit. That's the one reminder. True prayer is a gospel fruit. Look at chapter 4, verse 2. Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. Paul gives a command. Devote yourself to prayer. Prayer is a duty. If Paul is giving a command and telling us to do something, it's a duty. Not in the sense that we do it begrudgingly, but as a Christian duty. A duty that we gladly take on in response to Christ. But it is a duty nonetheless. I don't. Sometimes we're so worried about telling people what to do that we actually are a little soft on the commands that God gives believers in Scripture. Prayer is one of those. Paul says pray. And by extension, the Holy Spirit speaking through Paul is saying devote yourself to prayer. It's a command. It's a duty. So it's a duty because God commands it. And so this text is not the only one. You could go to Ephesians. You could go to the Psalms where it says, call out to the Lord. That's prayer. But what's interesting is Martin Luther attached this to the third commandment, which you know the third commandment is not taking God's name in vain, right? So if we think of it this way, if you think of the third commandment as don't blaspheme God's name, is it not blasphemy when he is worthy of prayer and demands prayer and should receive all our prayer and he doesn't? So to take God's name in vain or to blaspheme God's name is to not respond to him the way that his name deserves and Luther's point is, he deserves prayer, not just because he's God, but because of the kind of God he is. So is he not worthy for us to call out to him? Luther would actually even go so far as to say that prayerlessness is just like, not not equivalent, but it's on the same level as idolatry and murder. It's a breaking of the commandment when we don't pray. So even here, we have to pause and ask ourselves a question. Do we see prayer as this important? Do we see prayer as a breaking of a commandment, as the failure to do what God would have us to do? Or do we view it as something that is really optional? Maybe we need to to not see it as an add-on to the Christian life, but it's a command. And if we don't obey this command, the Bible calls that sin. It's disobedience. There's a book by a 17th century pastor named John Brown. And the modern title is is called Godly Prayer and Its Answers. Now that's not the original title. Because if you go look at the original title. It's one of those Puritan titles. It's like you know a paragraph long. 
But in that book, he has a chapter in which he gives 57 reasons and rationales for how prayer can be considered a duty. So if you want to do further research, if you think I'm just coming up with this, I'd encourage you to go get that book, Gospel Prayer and Its Answers. You can find it. Read the chapter on prayer as a duty, and he'll give you 57 additional reasons why you ought to consider prayer a duty. But my point is this. You are commanded, we are commanded by God to pray, and when we don't, that's sin. So notice what happens. If you break the law and don't pray, you are a sinner. You've been separated from God. You deserve death. So now, why bother praying now? Think about it. If one act of prayerlessness, one failure at that command means you are separated from God forever, then why ever pray again? It won't make a difference, will it? You're still, apart from Christ, it will not change anything. So notice what happens with the gospel, though. When the gospel comes in, it takes that duty and the condemnation that that duty brings and turns it into a delight. Because now, all your sins, when you trust in Christ, all your sins are forgiven. The slate is wiped clean. You are restored to fellowship with God Almighty. And now you can pray all you want. And you know what? Even when you don't pray when you should, that's covered by the blood of Jesus. That doesn't mean it's okay. But now you can pray. Do you see what I'm, what I'm getting at? Because we break the law, the command to pray, it makes it pointless to pray. And we don't get to enjoy the communion and the fellowship with God in prayer. But because of the gospel and because of the grace of God in Jesus Christ, now we can pray. So here's what we often do. If you think of prayer as one of the commandments, every, I think every believer in the room would say that my solution to the Ten Commandments is not to try to keep the Ten Commandments more. Right? Like we understand the law, the the Ten Commandments show us our sin and our guilt. So when it shows us our sin and our guilt regarding prayer, the answer is not, I'm going to pray more. It's not to take on the law head on. Instead, we're invited to rest and receive Christ for salvation. And then now that we're forgiven, it opens up to us The fruit and the pleasure of prayer. So what I don't want you to leave here this morning thinking is that that the answer, the starting point for a better prayer life is something that you have to create. God has done everything to take you from being condemned by your prayerlessness to enjoying a life of devoted prayer. It is a blessing. It is a gospel fruit. So... Just one more, one more point that I want to make. You notice this text is in Colossians 4, right? This is not in Colossians 1. It's not in 2 where Paul's talking about what God has done for us, the, the good news of the gospel. No, this is in the part of the letter that's the response to what Christ has done for us. So what's the first point of application we might say under this point? Well, we, we just need to recognize our prayerlessness recognize our failure, and we need to confess it and ask God for forgiveness. We've all had prayerless lives. And apart from Jesus Christ, 
we could be condemned and sent to hell for our prayerlessness. But because Jesus paid the price for our sins on the cross, we are forgiven. We can confess our sins and trust and rest. And now the whole spectrum of possibility and blessings of prayer are opened to you. If you're not a Christian, if you're not a believer, really the application to the sermon stops here for you. Uh, what you need to recognize is that you are separated because of your lack of prayerlessness. It doesn't matter how good you think you've been. It doesn't matter if you, you think I haven't committed some of the big sins. If you've ever failed to give God prayer or you didn't believe that he existed, you have sinned, your sin has separated you from God and your only hope for salvation and forgiveness is trusting in Christ. He paid the penalty for you. He died on the cross. So, believer, for you, understand that when we talk about prayer, it comes out of the free grace that God has given you in Christ. It comes out of your status as a new creation. It is a proper response to the gift that is given to you in Christ. So understand the gospel. Uh, prayer is a gospel fruit. I love the way it's put. The gospel produces a praying people. The gospel produces a praying people. Only those who have been redeemed by Christ from sin and the curse of the law. Only then can we begin to talk about these commands. Okay? So we want to have that gospel foundation. So that's the one reminder. Now let's talk about our three responses to the gospel in regards to prayer. We are to devote ourselves to prayer. So the first, re the first response is devote yourself to prayer. If Christ has changed your life, devote yourself to prayer. That's what he says, right? Devote yourselves to prayer. It's a command. And there are two aspects of this command that I want you to notice. First of all, it's in the present tense. So what that means is there is a, a habit. There is a, an action that is to be repeated. So Paul's talking about persist in prayer. Devote yourself to prayer. Be busily engaged in prayer. Hold fast to prayer. So the present tense means that, that it ought to invoke, we ought to invoke and plead and approach God repeatedly, habitually, frequently, the way a devoted craftsman approaches his craft. Now, understand that when, when he says persist, devote yourself, that implies that there will be difficulty. Why would Paul tell us to persevere? Be devoted to prayer if there wasn't an expectation that there are going to be times and there are going to be situations where we're going to be challenged and we're going to, we're, we are going to want to choose not to pray. The basic idea in this is commitment, discipline, forming a habit. In other words, Paul's saying be diligent to make prayer a habit. So that's, that's one aspect of the command. It's the present tense. But the second I want you to, to see is it's plural. Devote yourselves. So this is not only a command to us individually. So if we wanted to translate into the you know, American Southern version, he's saying y'all devote yourselves to prayer. 
each one of you, all of us, devote yourselves to prayer. So there's an individual aspect. Yes, pray individually. But he's writing a letter to what? The churches. To the church in Colossae. So he's saying the church ought to be devoted to prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer. So don't miss this, this corporate notion that we ought to be a praying church. I love what Spurgeon said. He says this, The neglect of private prayer and corporate prayer is the locust which devours the strength of the church. So at the bottom, at the bottom, this text calls us to examine how we can individually and corporately make prayer a more regular part of our life. A more meaningful part. Not only are we to have a higher view of prayer than we probably have, but we are to give it a greater place in our life than we probably do. So we're called to this perseverance in prayer. And here, I, maybe, maybe you've been praying for something for a long time. And maybe you've given up and you've restarted and and you've picked it up, and maybe you're in a period where you've just kind of left it. But I think one, one application that Paul is saying here is pray and keep on praying no matter what. Wherever you are, don't give up on prayer. Don't give up on prayer. Have you been praying for years and not gotten the answer you sought? Keep praying. Have you struggled and you're barely hanging on? Keep praying. God's people prayed in Egypt and he sent Moses. Hannah kept praying. She poured out her heart before the Lord and he sent Samuel. Daniel kept praying and God shut the mouths of lions. Keep on praying. Prayer is a sign that you know God. A lot of times we think that our maturity level is indicated by our lack of prayer. We know God better because we don't pray as much. That's not true. The more you know God, the better you know God, the more you pray. And so if we're called to devote ourselves and persevere in prayer, why don't we? Why don't we? I'll give you two reasons why. Number one, we get distracted by discomfort. We get distracted by discomfort. And here I think about uh, the novel The Silver Chair by C.S. Lewis. And in that novel, Eustace and, and Jill Pole, Eustace Scrub and Jill Pole get pulled back into Narnia. And, and Jill meets with Aslan and Aslan gives her a mission. And he says, there are four signs you need to look out for. Repeat the signs to me. And, and she repeats the signs over and over. And then he says, repeat them, saying when you're going to bed and when you get up. It's kind of like a Deuteronomy, you know, repeat these things in the morning and in the night. So Aslan gives Jill his word, and then she is sent out into the world, and he says, recite these, remember these. So essentially, Jill is told to pray. Pray, recall the signs, recall the promises, recall the word. Well, then they set out on their travels, and then they start heading up the mountains towards uh, the, the giants and and they're in the snow and, and the hard and it's hard soil for soft feet and they, they get discomfort. And then they hear about a city and they're told that city has warm beds, warm food. There's fires burning all the time and you can fill 
and rest and be warm there. And at one point in the story, one of their companions says, I don't know if we should go to that city. I don't have a good feeling about this. What were the signs that Aslan said again? And essentially Jill says, oh, bother the signs. I don't care. I just want to be comfortable. And that's what we'll do oftentimes. We get into a period of discomfort. And instead of it actually driving us to prayer, we let it drive us away from prayer. We get distracted by discomfort. The reverse of that, the second reason we don't devote ourselves to prayer is we get complacent by comfort. We're comfortable. What do I need to prayer for? I have food in my pantry. I have a roof over my head. I have a good job. My children are doing well and they're healthy. My marriage is, is good. And we don't pray because we're comfortable. We become dull and sluggish. We cannot get around the fact that Paul is talking about a devotion to prayer. And you make time for the things to which you are devoted That which you're devoted to, you make time for. You treasure it. You protect it. So between, uh, so, so being devoted to prayer means that we devote time, energy, the best of our time, the best of our energy, the best of our mental faculties. We cherish our private and corporate prayer time. But that's not all that Paul says because he says devote yourself to prayer. And concerning this devotion, he has two more truths that he intends to convey. And these are the other two responses. So not only are we to devote ourselves in prayer, that's the first response. But the second response is we are to stay alert in prayer. So your response to the gospel and prayer is to be alert in prayer. Notice he says stay alert in it, in prayer. What does that mean, stay alert? Be in a constant state of readiness. Be wide awake. Be alert. Be powerful. Be be watchful. Be vigilant. This word for stay alert before the New Testament was used in military context when people were on a post and they're watching out, right? And and imagine you're in a post and, and you are told that there is an invasion coming. The enemy will be here any day now. And now you're on the lookout. Are, are, are you awake? Are you alert? You're watching, right? Your eyes are peeled on the horizon waiting for the slightest thing to come over that line. That's the attitude that Paul is saying that we have to have about prayer. But he says, be alert in it, in prayer. I, I think... What he's saying is that we need to be alert to the possibilities, alert to the power, alert to the, the privilege that we have in prayer. I'm so convinced that one of the reasons that many of our prayer lives is so anemic is because we're not spiritually alert and awake to the possibilities of prayer. The opportunities that we have to pray are all around us. Not only that, we're, we're oftentimes not aware of the dangers of not praying. We think that our position is just kind of neutral. And if we don't pray, it could improve, but it, it couldn't hardly get any worse. No, friends, there's a danger to not praying as well. Prayer is so powerful, and I think Paul is calling us to have an alertness to the power of prayer. Think about this. Why do you think Satan does everything he can to keep you from prayer if it's not powerful? 
It is so powerful. And it's not powerful because prayer is powerful. It's powerful because of who prayer connects you to. Prayer is like a radio. It's a, it's a, a radio is not powerful, but in a military context, it's what it's connected to. I think about the story of Leroy Miller, Sergeant Leroy Miller from World War II. He was fighting in Italy with the 10th Division, 10th Mountain Division. And Miller was operating as a forward artillery observer. When German soldiers see this one man, they spot him. And their response to this one man is to send a mortar barrage to kill him. Now, you might ask, rightfully, why would they expend such an effort to kill one man? It's very simple. He had a radio. At any moment, he could call for backup. He could call for extra forces, and they knew that. Prayer is powerful. If we truly knew the power of God available to us in prayer, if we viewed every situation through those eyes with that alertness to every minor detail that we see, that the power of God could be manifested in that, we would, we would have an alertness that we've never had before. So how can you develop this alertness? Well, you need to ask God to open your eyes for the opportunities to pray around you. To, to remove the film of familiarity that you've seen things with fresh eyes and ways to pray. Everything around you, everyone around you are opportunities to pray. You can pray for people and not even know them. We were out to eat the other day and we heard about, uh, we were eating and there was a young lady, uh, I was told, in the, in the restroom who was crying. She was on the phone and she was, I don't know her name, I don't know her. Uh, I, we weren't sure who it was, but I said a short prayer for her, just that God would work in her life, that God would help her, whatever it is she's dealing with. That was an opportunity for prayer. You have all those opportunities all around you. So ask God to open your eyes. So how do I develop an alertness in prayer? Ask God to open your eyes to the opportunity. The second way that you can develop an alertness in prayer is actually, the answer to that question is our third response. The third response we see at the end of verse 2. He says, stay alert in prayer with what? Thanksgiving. So not only are we to devote ourselves to prayer, we're to be alert in prayer, but then we're also to be alert with thanksgiving. If you want something that will jumpstart your prayer life and make you alert to prayer... Ask God to develop a thankful heart in you. When he begins to show you all that he's done for you. Being devoted to prayer, persevering in prayer, constant in prayer is largely sustained by thanksgiving. That's why Paul says stay alert in it with thanksgiving. How do you stay alert in prayer? With thanksgiving. What is the gas that fuels that devoted prayer life? Thanksgiving. And another way we can think of it is the only way that you, the only, you should only pray all the time if you have something to be thankful for. I mean, otherwise, I would say don't pray. The problem with that is there's always something to be thankful for. Paul, writing to believers and to us, 
tells us that we have so much to be thankful. We develop, and when we develop a keen eye for alert prayer, our hearts are attuned to what God has blessed us with. So if you're here this morning and you say, my prayer life is not what I would call devoted. It's not a devoted prayer life by any stretch. First of all, welcome to the club. We're glad to have you. But secondly, I, I, I want to suggest some ways that you can start giving thanks. I want to give you six areas where you can begin asking and, and observing. Okay, Number one, family. Do you, do you have a spouse that loves you? Do you have a spouse that you love, that you enjoy? What about your children? Are they healthy? The fact that you have children. God has blessed you with children. Your extended family. Think about your, your extended relatives who have blessed you, who pray for you, who have encouraged you. Your church family. Your friends. That right there gets you started on things to be thankful for. So there's family. What about job? You have a job. God provides for you. You have a purpose. He's placed you in that job. He's given you connections. He's given you co-workers. He's given you opportunities. God has a plan for you in that place. Otherwise, you would not be there. And He still has a plan for you. Otherwise, you would not be here. So, your purpose, your provision, the roof over your head, the clothes that you wore today, the food that you're going to eat today, all of that, God has provided for you. What about your interests? What, what can you thank God for that He has created you to have an interest in? And you say, well, why would I thank God that He's created me to have an interest? Because that is a way you experience His glory and the goodness of His creation. So maybe you enjoy, I don't know, books. <laughs> That's, but... but you, maybe you enjoy being outdoors and, and being in creation and, and seeing all the, the various things that God has made and done. Maybe you enjoy art and, and people's talent and, and being able to draw and, and see how different colors can elicit different emotions and all these things. All of those things God has given you as a blessing to enjoy. So you can thank God for those. In addition, what about pleasures? Good food, good drink, good, good fun, laughter, good friends. The simple things that you enjoy. Seeing a sunset and God painting a sky with, with, with colors you don't really see anywhere else on that scale. What about the sound of rain? Your kids laughing. Um, or singing in the back seat. Those little things that bring you pleasure, that's an opportunity for you to say, thank you, God. You're so good to me. What about your pains? Your pains, you can thank God for. Because your pains are a way that God is refining you. God is teaching you contentment. He's teaching you to value Jesus above any and all other things. He's teaching you patience. 
maybe the trials that, that, that you are so struggling with, maybe, maybe what you need is, is a grateful and thankful heart that God might be using those to draw you more into himself. I know that's hard. I know it's hard to say thank you. That's, please hear me. I'm not saying that that happens overnight. Something traumatic has happened to you. Something that, that you repeatedly wrestle with. It doesn't just happen like that. I know. But it can begin to happen. It can start. It might be a lifelong process. But, but God can teach you. And God can bring good out of it. So there's all these, th- these areas where we can give thanks to God. A devoted prayer life starts with being alert to the manifold blessings of God in your life. My prayer is that God would open each of your eyes and my eyes to the many ways, the innumerable graces that he's given us. But we have, so, so think about how much you could dive into all those five areas. And we have not even got to what Paul says in Ephesians 1.3. That God has blessed us with every spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. You want to talk about a supply of thankfulness. There it is right there. What God has done for you in Jesus Christ means you have an unlimited supply of reasons to say thank you. Because he's blessed you with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. And one of those blessings is prayer. We have so much to thank God for, especially for his kindness and goodness to us in Christ. So, in one sense, we should devote ourselves to prayer only if we have anything to thank God for. And in Jesus Christ, there are innumerable reasons to say thank you. So, turns out we have an unending, an unending list to see why prayer is so powerful. It's so worthy of our time and our attention. It's a small thing, it seems like, to pray. It's like Pikachu. You, does anybody know who Pikachu is? Pokemon, right? Pikachu, he's this little character, but, but he's so powerful. That's what prayer is. It, it is a way that is a, it's a small thing, but opens up a world of power and a world of possibilities. So, believers, remember our main idea this morning, okay? Believers should devote themselves to prayer with alertness and thanksgiving. So if you're not a Christian, understand your dire situation is you need to come to Christ for forgiveness. You need to trust him for salvation, that he died, was buried, and rose again. And you can be saved by trusting in Christ. That's where you need to start today. But for those of us who are in Christ, if you're honest about your level of devotion to prayer, would you say that it matches what this text says? I don't know anybody who's being honest that would say yes, it does. So we need to confess our sins, seek forgiveness, and then ask the Lord to help us to be more alert and more thankful. We do that again as the gospel fruit. You see how it's all tied together? We reflect on the gospel, and the fruit of that is what leads to a devoted prayer life. It's a gospel fruit. God's grace and mercy produces a praying person in you. 
So as we come to a time of invitation, this is a chance for us to pray, to devote ourselves to prayer at this time. Maybe God has, has pricked your heart and you know exactly what you need to pray about. This is a chance for you to respond, to be open to what the Lord has to say to you. But also, maybe you'd like somebody to pray with you. I'll be down here at the front. I'd be happy to pray with you for whatever you need. But this is a chance for us to respond to what we've heard from God's word. So let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the privilege of prayer and the power of it, the, the possibilities of it that, that open up to us the storehouses and the resources of heaven. Lord, forgive us for our lack of prayer. Forgive us for when we have treated prayer as, as optional, as less than important. But God, we rest in your grace. We trust that our sins are forgiven in Christ, that we are held fast by Christ. And God, what, what a relief to know that Jesus paid it all and that we can now pray with full assurance that we are heard because we are your children. Lord, Holy Spirit, you work during this time as only you can. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.